0: Patience, Brian patience let it roll ah, happy May 1st happy May everybody here we are back we've been missing our co-host we took a week off we were trying to hope he was going to heal and get back but Robert Pye ended up having his gallbladder out about a week and a half ago so he is not joining us for this episode our prayers go out to Bob but he is recovering very well and I don't know if anybody else noticed when he talked about it the last episode, he's being a real baby. So we all need to give him some prayers because he is a big baby about his body. So, Master Bob, we love you. And uh, I know you'll be back for next episode. So, wow, wow. Let's see. I know, two weeks, it feels like the world has spun a thousand times and a lot going on. Uh, today, I'm really excited about the guest I have today. Uh, it's someone I've only met very recently. Um, but he is part of an organization that... I don't know much about, but I know it's, I knew it was an organization that I had to get myself tied to very quickly because they have been an activist in the area where this podcast definitely relates, uh, that is basically to the old word marijuana and cannabis. Uh, this is an organization that is national and has done a lot of good things for the cannabis plant. and has probably been a large driving force uh, locally to what Kevin Madden mentioned in a previous episode. You can go back and everybody can look at Kevin Madden, our, our think tank CNN analyst out of Washington who was on with us many episodes ago and he mentioned how uh, the cannabis reform is really was grassroots. Um, it didn't start in Washington. Washington's the slowest engine there is running. Uh, but it came from grassroots at the state level, and that's, that's what got us to where we are today, where in my lifetime I may actually, not may, I'm going to be doing everything I love to do legally, and I'm going to be able to teach my family how to do it correctly um, so we're all living longer, happier lives. So here we are, our guest, Steve. Who is a member of Normal? Which I'm going to let him describe. And and Steve, I want to make sure I say your last name right. Is it Vandermail? Vanderwall.
1: Vanderwall. Yeah, I knew I was going to get go it wrong. It looks like Vanderwalle, and it's a little confusing with all those capitals. So spell it for me. Uh, it's V A N D E W A L L E, and the uh, V D and the W are all caps. And,
0: uh, and this gentleman, I met him at an event on 420. I was a busy boy that day. I went to like four different places. And just to recap, I was at uh, One nightclub that night, and they were handing out some gear and uh, definitely had a shout out for the podcast and had a lot of people uh, tell me they've been listening. Uh, we were also at the Riot Room for a, br- for a brief spell, uh, and we went over to Dragonfly, where, where there was a, a bunch of people, really, and we were all talking about the podcast for a little while, which is nice. So that was a good 420, but... In that whole mix, we also stopped at the normal event, and this is where I met Steve, and he was ex- showed, showed his excitement right away from meeting me uh, and my stupid energy, and we realized we definitely have a synergy of this plant. So uh, so I want to I open the floor here to Steve. I want to have him tell you guys about his life because I don't know much about him, so we're going to learn all together here, guys. So so welcome to the show,
1: and hold on. There it is. Wow. Thank you uh yeah thanks for having me it was uh it was great to meet you was on the 420 party that was a a very busy day and a very successful fundraising event we had It was our first big fundraiser uh for rock normal which is the rochester chapter for normal and for those people who don't know much about normal it's the national organization uh, for the reform of marijuana laws and it's actually the oldest and largest consumer cannabis advocacy organization in the country uh, in the world actually with over 165 chapters um, and we are the chapter that is the, from Rochester. We're a little over a year old. Uh, started just about January of last year. Um, and we're really only a small team of, which was 99% of the time, three of us, and we just brought on a fourth, um, have ma- made remarkable uh, and profound change in this industry at a political level. And it was just, we didn't have. Resources, we, you know, we ran this out of our own pockets. We um, were all working full-time jobs, and we were able to leverage things like social media and just being digitally relevant and having really solid, strong education-based political lobbying tactics. And before we knew it, we were the front runners from one of the most progressive and most kind of uh, powerful organizations leading the charge in New York. So. We've made some really deep relationships all the way up to the Senate and state level, working closely with Assemblywoman Crystal People Stokes, who's championed this this bill, this industry, um, and Liz Kruger, of course, the senator who uh, out of Manhattan who wrote the bill, uh, the MRTA, which is what is currently in the legislative session now. So, being able to have political allies like Stokes and and Kruger and just kind of being caught between the truth and the media, we've been able to kind of see this industry evolve from a 30,000 foot view. And it's when you understand cannabis full spectrum, which is, you know, kind of the buzzword in this industry. Um, but understanding it, not just, Um, you know, economically, but agriculturally, socially, especially from a justice perspective, scientifically and medically, you start to see this new frontier that is we're sitting on. We're sitting on a gold mine. And unfortunately there's a huge education gap. I won't use the term ignorance because we'll stay positive. There's a huge education gap in the decision makers or in the decision making pool that is really slowing this process because Um, With a little bit of education, we could be seeing one of the biggest economic revolutions of our time
0: So some people would look at you and I or or would in the past have looked at you and I as the charlatans in the room The ones we're 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 coming in with some witch's brew or something like oh, yeah You guys just want to you guys just want to make normal the fact that you can smoke your pot in the corner and sit on your couch Uh, but Like, like you just intimated, it is so much more and the piece of it where you and I and and why I started this podcast originally, the piece of it is the education, the education. I feel that is the only thing missing to get the general society to understand what you now know.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's like it's so much more than getting high. You know, this isn't all putting all of our efforts and time and all this bullshit headache dealing with politics just to get high. We're going to do that anyway, whether it's legal today or in 50 years, it's about everything else. And really, when you take the time to understand it, you know, below this plant that you light on fire and makes you feel good, you start to see that we're really on the cusp of some serious medical and academic advancements and, you know, new movements and mass mass incarceration and and social inequality and racial disparity. And when you understand it and take time to just educate it and the problem, it's not even a A problem. The education is there. It's a couple swift keystrokes of a Google search bar, and before you know it, you can answer most of these questions that our our opposition are running against us for. You know, so it's like it's very frustrating because even when you provide all the education, you know, you can bring your academic experts and your scientific experts, your legal experts. You can bring them all in here and say, Hey, you don't have to listen to us, stoner activists. You can listen to the people that get paid to do this. Even when you prevent factual information to the decision makers and the politicians at top, it still doesn't matter because this, you know, certain level of party loyalty and it's just, it beca- it's frustrating industry, but we are winning. And I'm a firm believer that by July, we are going to see a, a, an adult use legal program here in New York state.
0: Yes. Yes. I agree. I think it's going to be by July. Uh, and I, and I believe people have to be patient if it seems to be rolled out slower than some people would like, uh, because I think it would be very wise to do it. Uh, a way that people can have access to it equally and enough products out there for people. Cause I don't think the general public understands how long it's going to make enough products to support a whole state like New York.
1: Yeah. The problem is I think this industry is going to be rooted in small business, you know, boutiques, small business, mom and pop shops. And it's especially the reason is, is because building a full C to sale infrastructure is incredibly expensive. And the only way that you can do it, and you and I both know the price, a price tag of this is you're looking at five to $6 million just to get something up, up and running. And as an entrepreneur, especially in this business where you can't get any loans, it's very hard to get that much money. So it's like the only people that can get it are the big register organizations, you know, the the medical companies. So it's like we have to figure out a way that where we can help small businesses get infrastructure right off the ground really fast. Because, you know, if it goes legal in July, but it takes two years, then we're not going to start seeing the economic benefits for two years. And then they're going to say, well, the stoner activist promised all this big money, but it's not here yet. Well, maybe you should allow safe banking. You know, maybe you should allow us to go and get an SBA loan for this business where the, the payoffs are, are massive and astronomical unlike any industry we've ever seen the returns. So it's like I think once the regulations catch up and the regulatory matters start to start to favor us, we'll start to really get these small businesses off the ground and quick. Um, luckily, there is some a lot of the attention is on the plant and in the horticulture side of this industry but the, the real cool developments are being made in agritech especially when it comes to uh, dense growing uh, shout out to my friends at stem cultivation based out of Boston Massachusetts but rooted here in Rochester they are doing some crazy uh, crazy new stuff that it's really built around the realm of helping giving startups and small businesses turnkey grow operations that are not only sustainable where they're cutting their their operational costs by like 75% but increasing productivity and output by 3x it's going to change the game allowing these people to get access to these so a Mm -hmm. lot of cool stuff happening in the tech and ancillary realm that no one's really talking about but so I think just a, a side not a sidebar but to to
0: clarify for people out there part of the application process for the THC licensing is going to be having a $3 million cash bond set aside, uh, where for the CBD licensing process, they did not do any kind of financial background in companies. So that's why they went out and gave 79 applications out for the CBD processing and, and, and don't intend to hand any more out anytime soon. They're hoping that 79 will be strong enough, but they didn't do any financials. So at least the state is, by forcing companies to have a $3 million bond, and a $50,000 $50, or so application fee, I think that should help the state propel a little bit in the beginning because to me that's almost your equipment cost for processing and the initial cost of your building and biomass almost
1: covered. So interesting that you say that because yesterday New York State uh, Department of Ag and Markets released their second round of CBD growing fiber and uh, hemp grain licenses just yesterday. Uh, and you know why they did that? Why is that? Because they just made 79 companies available
0: to process. Yeah. So, so they need more people growing, growing. right now. Yeah. There's not enough people growing biomass and they're realizing that they're in trouble.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. There's such a there's so many variables involved in the seed to sale process that like you can have the best most robust grow operation there is, but if you don't have a processing facility to to turn that biomass into some sort of consumable or product, then it's worth nothing. You know, so it's like everyone's trying to get these grow licenses. I was like. I'd be going to take out a capital loan on an extraction facility, you know, and getting some sort of CO2 extract facility. That's where, you know, that's where people should be going to get licenses, you know? And And, and now it's done. Yeah. It was a two week span in
0: December. Everybody had that chance and now it's done, but you are exactly right. A hundred percent. And, and why do you, from your perspective, CBD versus THC,
1: um, we see CBD is going to be, have a bigger impact in people's
0: lives. Do you have that same opinion?
1: Uh, yeah, I think CBD is really the Trojan horse into the medical industry. I think once we start understanding the endocannabinoid science or systems fundamentally and realizing that, you know, these two relatively simple CB1 and CB2 receptors all interact with these, what, 110 cannabinoids that all come from the cannabis plant. Like we, there is no other plant human relationship or any resource human relationship that has that type of profound symbiotic relationship, So I think we're gonna see that CBD is gonna be remarkably, it's gonna be a billion dollar medical industry, more, right, than they're projected. But I think it's gonna open the floodgates to, you know, what about a CBG industry? Because let's be honest, the only difference between the CBD industry and THC industry and really is like the amount of THC, right? So it's like, does that mean that next year people are gonna start growing high CBG strains? Is that a new form of cannabis? Because that has an entire new grow process and new extraction and consumable. What about a CBN industry? So I see it as like cannabis is going to be all these industries that we're seeing are cannabinoid industries. And I think knowing that there's 110 of them that all do something similar that we know very little about, I think we're about to see in a full spectrum of, of, of industries, cottage industries. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, And I believe that part of that will come with the resource
0: program that the state tied in with the CBD processing licenses, right? That, I think that's going to help propel that
1: the, tell me more about that. So it,
0: when when a company had to submit their license to the state they had to put a research proponent into it and you have to follow up the research proponent and report it to the state so you can't just sit there and say okay this is one of the things we're going to do as we research and then just go out and sell products and not fill the full obligation of the license
1: so it's kind of like a like a um like the New York State Industrial Hemp Pilot Program, so Cornell's it's deeply exactly involved, right? right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a it, it's, it's a step up from that, yeah.
1: So can non-scientists or non-academic people like you and I say, hey, we're going to conduct this study, right? Do we have to have any some sort of like scientific credentials to be able to conduct study? How do you what qualifies as well, research? I guess research?
0: I guess that's that's where you get your validity. Yeah. I mean, you can have anybody do any kind of study. I mean, you know, we we the any company that now has the application or has done this and has license. They really need to follow the parameters of what they set forth in that license. because it was written, approved, and then drafted. So when companies get their license, they have to sign off on it. And it's a deep document. So everyone
1: could be slightly different. Yeah, I think that I think the big in, the big issue with the hemp industry right now is be, the THC level allowed because with such a low THC, it does involve a pretty excruciating extraction process. So you need a lot of biomass. And I'd venture to say that increasing the THC level to like one percent, which is, you know, three and a third X what it is now would be. A lot, just be have a, a, we'd have a much more uh, efficient and productive hemp economy. But I think because that margin is so low, it makes you know the difference between a, a CBD oil with 03 percent THC and point four percent THC. Like a full spectrum, exactly, yeah, like a full it's spectrum. A a 0.4% THC product is a hot schedule one pro- product. That's you right. Could be, you could go to jail for that, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Cause yep. that's an, I mean, it's a, a there's going to be no effect difference in, 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 in cognitive capacity or like from 0. 0.3 or 0.4% THC. Generally
0: not, generally not, but uh, cumulative, it, it could po- have someone test positive on a test. Sure. And I'm only,
1: and I'm only playing devil's advocate sure, yeah, right yeah.
0: because, because, uh, <clears throat> there's a certain importance to having processing facilities that you're just having CBD coming through the machines of that processing. And you, you want to try to mitigate that THC out of there altogether to make sure true CBD is helping people the way it should. If that makes sense. Right. So, so I understand full spectrum and to be honest, I I say ultimately a lot of times on this show, everybody's life probably needs a little THC and higher CBD where I'm a high THC guy myself. So, so I'm, I, I'm well aware that full spectrum CBDs is probably ultimately at the end of the day gonna be the best for everybody. I, I'm a, I, that's my gut
1: feel. Oh, I would without a doubt say that full spectrum products are scientifically superior to isolates. I mean, cannabis is a is a full plant product. You know, there's actually I I, I don't have the study on me, but there's actually a study that says that full spectrum products perform better in terms of. Ev- all, you know, endocannabinoid system efficacy and and optimization. Um, So, you know, it's CBD and THC tend to get a lot of the credit, but it's really, I think we're going to be able to accredit a lot of the work uh, to the secondary cannabinoids and terpenes and a lot of these experiential molecules that kind of give cannabis its different, unique, kind of customized feeling to everybody. So we, I don't think we know enough about it. I Mm -hmm. think there's going to be a place for isolates just like full spectrum. I don't know. I don't know where that'll be, but I, I, I've always had this vision of being able to like, you know, okay, here's all these raw cannabinoids. Oh, you're, you're, you dealing with anxiety. Okay. You need high CBD, low THC, and maybe some linalool terpene and some CBG and doing like custom cannabinoid terpene medicine for people. And I think that's where you can study isolates. I think that'll be something that will be, be relevant in the near future.
0: I love that you say that. I'm going to have to ask, I had uh, Erica Fallon, who's an alchemist pharmacist, out of Albany area, I'll have to talk about that because that sounds like an interesting study for them to, to take on. Her, her and I have been talking recently, so I'm going to have to reach out to her. That,
1: who taught you that? Who's your mentor in this whole, for the medical side, or, or, or like, what's your background? Uh, so I have a background in cognitive science, actually from the University of Rochester, um, but I'm self-taught. I've read... Um, a lot of my research, I've studied Raphael Mishulop and his work dating back to his publishings back in 1965 and really we started or 1960s uh, when we started really learning about when he actually extracted THC for the first time. Um, and then the discovery of CB1 and CB2 in the early 90s, I pretty much have read every relevant publication between then and now. Um, so it's pretty much self-taught. Um, I do work closely with Dr. Harold Smith out of the University of Rochester. Uh, he's a biochemist and biophysicist who is doing some remarkable world in both um, um, virus medicine, uh, especially in HIV AIDS, uh, but now cannabis and understanding the cannabinoid genome as a whole. Um, he is a remarkably intelligent man. And it's rare that I come across somebody where I just kind of stop dead in my tracks and just try to take everything in that he says, because it's like, some days I think I know a lot about the industry. And then I sit down with Dr. Smith and I'm just like, you are, what do you think about at your dinner table at night? You know, so it's like, do you have a recorder going when you sit in a room with a man like, him? I, I, I wish I should, I should be, we have some very good conversations. Cause it's like, you know, there's not a lot of people who are, who are super educated, you know, in terms of endocannabinoid science, it's not taught in medical school or dental school or anything. So unless you're self-taught, it's like, how do you have these productive conversations? And he's one person that is, not only has like 40 years of PhD and like true biochemical, you know, studying, but now his 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 knowledge in cannabis is just like, he's got to be one of the most scientifically relevant people in this country when it comes to cannabis, right biochemistry, too. right here in Rochester. That's incredible. We are sitting, there are, there are resources, infra- there is already an infrastructure built, for a thriving cannabis comedy, but there is a team of people, um, all that work closely with rock normal who are some of the, are the best experts in the country from the league legal perspective, science, medicine, every, you know, social legal, you name it. Um, sitting here ready for this industry to get the green light so we can start incubating the city because I, you know, we talk about Rochester's prosperity and when you know, in the Kodak and Xerox days, but I'm telling you right now, mark my words, if done right, the city will see will see prosperity far, much beyond what it did in the Kodak years.
0: I couldn't agree more. Now I see why you guys have made such an impact um, in the state so quick uh, in the last year uh, for Rochester's version of normal because we do have so many, um, we have a lot of people here in this city that have money and want to make people's lives better. I mean, U of R is a perfect example of that. The whole U of R complex is amazing. It employs most people in Rochester. Most people don't know that. And that research institute is, I mean, so did you come into Rochester to go to school there or were you born and raised here?
1: Yeah, I I came, I was born and raised in Palmyra, New York. Um, And then I went to U of R to study medicine. Um, I didn't quite make it pre-med. I like to have fun more than I like to study. Um, But I found a, a very deep interest in cognitive psychology. Uh, my my major was called brain and cognitive science, but it was a kind of uh, a merge between neuroscience and psychology. So I really got to understand like the, the biological underpinnings of behavior. And then when I went to business school after that, I was like, oh, how is marketing and finance ever going to tie in with my undergrad? Right. So come to find out it worked twofold. You know, I got to learn like the cognitive underpinnings of like marketing, you know, attention, memory, learning, you know, how brains react to color, all this cool stuff, which has translated perfectly into my business from a marketing perspective. And then understanding, you know, having that, that fundamental understanding of biochemistry from a lot of the science courses that I took and now learning endocannabinoid science, all of a sudden it was like, my whole world came together. It was like, wow, I did spend all this time in academia for it all to make sense, you know, and all to come together. So I luckily it was accidentally well-versed in both industries and I'm now heavily involved in, but, um. Yeah, I think with, you know, with U of R being here and like we have between U of R and and Simon and RIT and, you know, hell, Cornell is an hour south from us. to the number one ag program in the country. We have the academic infrastructure of a thriving, any economy. But like when you put in something like cannabis, who has an arm in all of those industries, just because of the capacity that it has, you start to see that Rochester is just like this beating, just waiting to, you know, explode. So I'm... So it's, it's easy to get obsessed in this industry. Um, we all are cut from the same cloth and we all seem to have this equal obsession because once you, you get it and you see it from a 30,000 foot view, it becomes very easy to be obsessed. So...
0: The cannabis plant has always been part of your life. When did it come into your life? For me, it came into my life at 16 years old. I'm 47, so this most people know my story. 31 years, I'm very honest about it. Uh, it changed. The, I went from a, a BC student to an A student. My mom used to call my ADHD medicine like. Yeah. So my family tolerated um, a lot, a lot of things with me, right? Um, but they also didn't want to listen to all the benefits I was getting out of it. They were like, whatever, you're the, you're the anomaly, Brian. So tell me how it's played out in your life with your family. Yeah,
1: I think we're starting to realize we're all that anomaly, right? So maybe yeah. it's not an anomaly at all. Thank you. I, uh, so I got a, a bit of a late start when it came to cannabis. I used it a little bit in high school and college, but never like medicinally. Um, I had started, you know, I became, I got into this entrepreneurial journey about three and a half years ago. And, you know, with entrepreneurship comes anxiety and stress and depression. So I had found myself in a little bit of a dark place a little, about a year and a half ago. Um, and it did what any normal person would do. I went to the doctor, and um, before I know it, I was on, you know, Trazodone to help me sleep at night. And then I was, you know, taking 30 milligrams of Adderall day to help me think. And then I was taking Zoloft to help me stabilize. So I was like being held together by this pharmaceutical coction, which I was starting to think was normal. Wait, this is just 18 months ago. Yeah, this is January last year. And I was in a bad place, you know, mentally and really having some thoughts that I never thought I would have. And, um, My friend, who is is actually uh, a nurse practitioner here, and I'm not sure that she knows how much she impacted my life, It was a byproduct of a five-minute conversation, starts talking to me, hey, I got into this uh, CBD stuff, this is like this new cannabinoid, it's helping me sleep, uh, blah, 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 you should try it, and at this point, I was like, I'll try anything, so started trying it first night, slept like a baby, I was like, coincidence second night same thing third night fourth night same thing and keep in mind like i have been an insomniac my whole life always like i could be exhausted i'll second i lay down i'm wide awake thinking about how to solve the world's problems and then i wake up six times in the middle of the night ready right Mm -hmm. to pee get something to drink for no reason and i'll sleep into the night so naturally it's like okay now i got something that's helping me and i'm gonna turn how can i turn this into a business so it was really cool within 40 days, I had taken myself off of everything except five milligrams of Adderall, which I still take today. But considering I was on 30, like I have not even taken an Advil since then. So I've been the healthiest I've ever been in my whole, my life, sleeping better. My anxiety is completely at bay and controlled. And for me, I was like, I need to, I need to be a part of this industry. So, um, I created a brand. I worked uh, with a good friend of mine and created this brand. I had always had this concept of, um, getting into cannabis from the medicinal perspective. So, you know, I was reading every day, I was broke. I was not, you know, I was trying to build this thing that was very tough, very tough industry to get into with no money, so I just spent my days reading and studying Raphael Mashulam and re- understanding the endocannabinoid science uh, system and kind of had this vision of there's this whole ecosystem right of cannabinoids and science and this whole unexplained medicinal phenomenon that we know nothing about. And, um, I started, you know, with a CBD company, knowing that it was going to be my Trojan horse into this bigger industry and this bigger vision of endocannabinoid science and what I truly believe will be a new level of like human optimization.
0: I almost don't like your choice of Trojan horse, but I I get it. But it's like, Trojan Horse is like masking something, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, but I, I get the analogy. I think it's awesome. But I, uh, my grandmother, 91 years old, yeah. a lotion, CB lotion. She can sleep three hours a night when she puts it on, applies it because it takes away the inflammation. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the, It gets to the root. So this is what you're talking about, the endocannabinoid system. I haven't talked about about it this enough in the last 10, 15 episodes. So I'm so glad you keep going back to yeah. this. I just learned about this system really, truly a year ago and in the beginning I understood and understood it but I had already been using and my body had already been healthy so I didn't need to understand the basics of it because I knew it was working for my body yeah it's amazing to me that you've applied what you're strong at and then you're just taking this to this level in 18 months and where you're getting now in 18 months is amazing to me
1: yeah. I mean, it's, cr- I mean, a year and a half ago, I never thought I was in the canvas business. I was doing like consulting for digital signage companies and selling t-shirts out of my trunk. You know, I was like, I was hustling, you know, and right place, right time. Just everything kind of happened. It, it, you just go with it as an entrepreneur. You just take, go with opportunities and meet people and continue. I knew I wanted a certain level of success. I wasn't ever really sure how I was going to get there, but I knew I would get there. Just don't, don't stop, figure it out. And, you know, 18 months later, it just blossomed into this awesome brand. And this vision is just coming to, you know, ahead, not ahead because it'll be years before I really been able to kind of like capture what I'm truly trying to understand is that is endo, the endocannabinoid system and like why we have this body system that it seem, is seemingly simple. You know, we have, it's comprised of two receptors, CB1 and CB2. CB1 receptors are located in your central nervous system. Um, and CB2 receptors are located in your peripheral nervous system. So think CB is your head and CB2 is your neck down. Um, and CB2 receptors are actually located really densely in your immune system cells, which we'll come to find out why it plays such a role in, in CBD efficacy. Um, but we start to look at like why when we take cannabinoids and how they interact, why we feel the way that we feel. So we look at THC first, which is kind of like the most famous cannabinoid. You know, it's the THC is what gets you high when you light cannabis on fire. Um, But what what really happens when you get high? You know, think about for me, I start to have, you know, a little bit spacey. I'm starting to feel maybe my short term memory kind of has lapses or decision making or just general cognitive enhancement or impairment. I don't really know what to call it. But ironically enough, there is this this brain region that sits right behind your forehead that's called the prefrontal cortex, and this brain region is littered with CB1 receptors, okay? And this brain region is responsible for cognitive function, things like attention, memory, decision making. So... It won't come as a surprise when I tell you that the CB1 receptor and THC have a direct lock and key binding affinity. They go together like puzzle pieces, like peanut butter and jelly. So if you smoke high THC cannabis, your CB1 receptors in your prefrontal cortex get flooded, and lo and behold, you have a cognitive enhancement. It is not rocket science. This is why I went from a cb kid to
0: a BA yeah. student. And, and did very well in college because our theory was we had no clue I didn't read this, stu- this stuff that was out there that this young man definitely read I just knew by using that if I was studied high it was, and it was in class high and took the test high I was getting I was doing very well it was It was a system that worked for me. I didn't have to do what my friends did I didn't have to take pills yeah. and smash them up in the in the bathroom and and i back then it was what was nodos back yeah. in the, it was it was ridiculous with the what some of these guys were doing and I'm sure they were doing other stuff because I never asked about it never was around pills never needed it because the THC did it for me during those years. You touched upon it exactly right. I love it.
1: Yeah. I, I think what's really cool is that like that's that's the what we know that THC does. But let's, for a second, let's talk about what CBD does. You know, CBD actually has a very different interaction with CB1, not in the same way where it causes any psychological um, reaction, which is why you could take as much CBD what you want as, as you can and you're not going to get high because there's no, that, that interaction like CB1 and THC, it's not the same with CBD and, and CB1. But rather, CBD interacts with the CB2 receptors, which we're finding that are are plentiful in the immune system cells. And we can all agree that, you know, our immune system is our natural defense and recovery system. which is what keeps us healthy and strong. And we can argue that people that have stronger immune systems are healthier. I don't think anybody is going to debate that. So what CB... A lot of the research that I've read, what CBD seems to do is act as a chemical messenger molecule, essentially a delegator molecule. So picture if you show up to work in the morning, right? And everyone's standing in the break room waiting for their assignment. And the boss walks in and says, okay, you are going to go fix the copier. You're going to go fix the printer. And the six of you are going to go fix this other project. That's a big product that needs a lot of help. That's what CBD does. It's a chemi- It's a messenger molecule. It communicates with your immune system cells and tells them where in your body needs the most recovery. And that's why CBD, it's not an ailment-specific drug. It's not a, an anxiety drug, a depression drug. It's not a pain drug, an inflammation drug. It's an immune system enhancement drug. It works with your body's own defense mechanism as a smart molecule, essentially. And just, that's why you don't need extra outside, you know, band-aid drugs like opiates or all these other pharmaceuticals because our bodies are very strong and resilient you know there's a reason that we can go a hundred years of life and never have one small thing happen which could kill us we're very efficient smart creatures right and when you optimize the foundation you can start to see why people are are healing everything it's not a miracle drug right so it's like what's even more compelling and really is kind of like fuels this obsession is that like researchers have discovered over 110 other cannabinoids, all that interact with the endocannabinoid system in their own unique way and produce biologically different results, which we can see through THC and CBD. And all of them can be derived from cannabis. So we have this one plant, which has been historically criminalized and stigmatized that come to find out years later has this body system that has 116 different cannabinoids Connected parts to it. It's like, to me, there's like, it's almost like human beings were biologically designed to consume cannabis. Like, cannabis spiritually is like the connection between human beings and Mother Nature, because I don't know of any other resource or animal or thing on the planet that has this type of connectivity with the body. And if you can find one, please let me know.
0: Amen. I think I'm going to put my microphone away and just let him talk for another hour without saying a word, because. Your your education level and the amount of time you have is unbelievable. So, at Christmas dinner this year, did your family kick you out of the room?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I don't talk about cannabis at medicine at family dinner because they're just like, oh sometimes though. I mean, it's made a way, it's made a, a way into my life. It's had to, I have to be very open about it as an activist and as an educator, because if you hide it, then it's like, you're, you have, you you have to be open about it. I've made my life about being open about cannabis and it's honestly haven't had really any pushback. Like I, people really are into it. I think people kind of just needed somebody to come out of the cannabis closet, which like, that's what normal does. We talk about cannabis, just like we talk about going to work. Like we get, we hang out in the morning or before meetings and we get high and then we go make political change and like rape, like it's, it's just a lifestyle. And it's like, you know, at that event we had, was there any bad energy in that room at all?
0: Come on. It, it was,
1: it was great. And
0: everybody you met each other smiles on everybody's faces hanging out. I mean, yeah. we're in the middle of a brewery and, and it's a cannabis event and everybody just mix and mingles yeah. perfectly. It's, it's perfect. I mean, any atmosphere you go to and cannabis is involved there's never violence. There's never angst. It is just the most relaxing atmosphere. Yeah. Where people want to meet each other. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's why it's like it's very easy to be open about it. You know, I've been open on my social media about my cannabis use, about how I use it to work out, and how it's helped me, and how I use it to sleep, and how I use it, you know, for for everything, and how I like to experiment, and it's allowed people to be like, hey. I can now talk about cannabis too. I don't have to feel like a criminal because we're, whether we want to, we're all doing the same thing. So all you people that are pretending you don't use cannabis, you do. And if you don't, you should try it because it will change your damn life. And it it's just, it's, it's, it's something that we just have to be comfortable with talking about and having, the, having conversations. And before we know it, it'll when we sit down, you know, just like you'd sit down at a round table and have a beer, people sit down at a round table and pass a joint, so. It sounds
0: like Ed Rosenthal. I think that's the exact statement he made on my, on my episode. Amen to that. And I love how you described how c- <laughs> CBD will work with the immune system and kind of branch out to figure out what has to happen because I get I get a lot of people that ask me questions about CBD oil. And first off, I'm going to put out there again the disclaimer, there's a lot of bad products out there that aren't made right. So blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to badmouth anybody. But there is a lot of bad products out there. Yeah. But number two... He was absolutely correct. You could have a 1,000 milligram bottle of CBD that is very good, high quality, and you may want it to cure your anxiety or to help you sleep or something else, but you have a torn meniscus that you've been just sitting on from volleyball because it's not one of those things that you have to have surgery on, but your immune system's thinking about that torn meniscus. It could take away from something else just to be uh, uh, reducing the pain in that spot or the inflammation around that meniscus that's there every day because you have a torn meniscus. Uh, uh, it kind of goes along with your saying, right Like it's hard to tell people to say
1: CBD will act a certain way to every yeah. person with the same doses. yeah, I think I you know, and I'm not a scientist, and I there's you know what I can argue the only argument I can make in full hundred percent capacity is that we need more research. I think we can all right. agree on that, but mm-hmm. from what I do know. Um, I think we'll tell you that there is no silver bullet for health and wellness. Um, cannabis can and will help, but we can't rely on it to like cure our every ailment and problem and stress. It's like pff, health and wellness is full spectrum. You know, we, we keep using it. It's, it's, it's funny how much this word is it made its way into our vocabularies and just like the g- generally of like how life works. So it's, you know, things like mindfulness and, and being able to modulate, you know, relationships in your life and stress and diet and exercise and drink enough water and getting enough sleep. You know, that's one thing that I think is the most fundamentally important things um, that note that is taken the least seriously is sleep. It's like, I always say people go out and buy a $70,000 car, but they won't buy a th- you know, a thousand dollars on a mattress or two grand on a mattress. And it's like, you know, for every two hours that we're awake, we're supposed to be having one hour of, of good recovery based sleep. But like how many people are getting a true, uninterrupted eight hours of like deep sleep, very few. You know, especially if it's like you're on your phone all day and you're stressed out. Like, If you're not sleeping, you're not recovering and repairing. If you're not repairing, your body is going to start to degrade and your physiology is going to start to weaken, which is why it's like if you have a cold and you don't get good sleep a couple days after another, before you know it, you have the flu or it's like that sore shoulder turns into a torn rotator cuff. Chances are if you just let your body rest and gave it the good and give it nutrients and supplements that it's, it'll need, it'll probably heal itself or at least get really close, you know? So it's like, it's it's a different perspective on health and wellness. Um, I, I practice, you know, restorative medicine and natural medicine. I use acupuncture and cupping. I rarely go to the doctor. Um, I exercise every day. I sleep well. I try to maintain positive relationships. I meditate in the morning. Like I do a lot of good things for myself, but um, cannabis has definitely helped kind of put all of that into perspective for me.
0: I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna get boring for one minute. Sure you brought up a subject that I meant to talk about. Okay. You're perfect. So you can have some water and relax here for a second, some coffee. Sleep. Sleep is something I've been talking to a lot of people about. I always dissect my life in thirds. So a third of your life should be work. A third of your life should be your personal time. And a third of your life should be sleep. That's eight hours. It's 24-hour day, Eight, eight, eight. That's it. Never works that way because work always creeps into the, over that eight. Sure. Like no matter no matter what, because think about it, you got you got long, half hour lunch, you're at work nine hours, and you got lunch and breaks built in, whatever. Sure. So it's tough for that to be exact. But that's I've tried to live my life that way, working for the post office. Didn't allow for that at all. But I, I want to read a story. I'm going to reference it so people can look up themselves. But sleep is a huge thing. So a lack of sleep can be considered a carcinogen. And I'm not taking saying this lightly. If you don't get enough sleep, folks, it's going to shorten your life. Anybody I say that to goes, oh, my life's going to be long enough already. Really? So you want to intentionally shorten your life for lack of sleep so you could work 13 hours. Uh, so you're basically, in essence... I don't like when people are working more and then skipping sleep because of work. I mean, that piece of a personal lift. But anyways, so the story I want to reference is wake up, people. You're fooling yourself about sleep, a study says. Um, it was written by Sandy Lamotte from CNN. It was posted Wednesday, April 17th. I had a, I have a link to it. Um, I don't want to go through the, the some of the jargon, but basically there's uh, they looked through 8,000 websites to see what kind of information is out there and what's, what's real and what's not. Adults need five or few hours of sleep. And eh, wrong. Center of Disease Control and Prevention, please go look it up. We're supposed to get between seven and 10 hours of sleep each night, depending on our age. But the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that a third of Americans sleep fewer than seven hours a night. According to the World Sleep Day Statistics, sleep deprivation is threatening the health of up to 45% of the global population. We have extensive evidence to show that sleeping five hours a night or less consistently increases your increases your risk greatly for adverse health consequences, including cardiovascular disease and early mortality, Robin said. I'm taking my time with this on purpose because I really believe that even if people didn't have cannabis in their life and they slept eight to nine hours, ate right and exercise to their 45 minutes to an hour getting their heart rate up, that they could live almost as a healthy life without cannabis. They need the cannabis CBD, but this is such a big piece. So so I apologize for for stopping here because there's a couple more points I want to make out of this. Uh, It's healthy to be able to fall asleep anywhere, anytime. Uh, this is something that people say and believe. Um, falling asleep as soon as you are, are in a car, train, van, starts moving is not a sign of well-rested person, sleep experts say. In fact, it's just the opposite. Falling in sleep instantly, anywhere, anytime is a sign that you are not getting enough sleep and you're falling into micro-sleeps or mini-sleep episodes, Robin said. It means your body is so exhausted that whatever it has a moment, it's gonna start to repay its sleep debt. You feel sleepy because of a buildup of a chemical called anddenazine in the brain, which happens throughout the day as you head towards night. Sleeping soundly reduces that chemical so that when you wake up, the levels are the lowest and you feel refreshed. But the longer you stay awake and the less sleep you get, the more adenosine levels rise, creating what's called a sleep load or sleep debt. Sleep debt is real. So many people want to act like that's not a true thing. Want to check your level of sleepiness? Look at the Epworth sleepiness scale. And if you're worried, check in with a sleep doctor who can do more extensive testing in a sleep lab. And I'm going to spell that out for everybody because I think this is an important thing. At least look in the mirror, everybody. Epworth, E-P-W-O-R-T-H, sleepiness scale. S-L-E-E-P-I-N-E-S-S scale. Your brain and your body can adapt to less sleep. People also believe that the brain and body could adapt and learn to function optimally with less sleep. That too is a myth. That's because your body cycles through four distinct phases of sleep to fully restore itself. This is this is the last point I'm gonna make because to me this is one that I never knew before, and this is very this is very important. I know I learned it in high school, but I totally forgot. In stage one, you start to sleep, lightly sleep, and you become disengaged from your environment. In stage two, where you will spend most of your total sleep time, stages three or four contain the deepest, most restorative sleep and the dreamy state of REM or rapid eye movement sleep. During REM, the brain is highly reactive, Robin said. It almost looks like your brain is awake if we hook you up to two or more electrolodes and we're able to monitor your brain waves. REM can occur anytime during the sleep cycle, but on average, it starts in about 90 minutes after you've fallen asleep. REM is when your body and brain are busy storing memories, regulating mood, and learning. It's also when you dream. Your arm and leg muscles are temporarily paralyzed during REM sleep, so you can't act out your dreams or injure yourself. Because a good night's sleep gives your sleep cycle time to repeat, you'll go through several REM cycles, which takes up to about 25% of your total sleeping time. Another important stage of sleep is deep sleep. When your brain waves slow into what is called delta waves or slow wave sleep, it's a time when human growth hormone is released and memories are further processed. The deeper stages of sleep are really important for generation of neurons, repairing muscle and restoring the immune system, Robbins said. It's tough to wake a person from deep sleep. If you do wake, you can feel groggy and fatigued. Mental performance can be affected for up to 30 minutes, studies show. Uh, Snoring, although annoying, is mostly harmless. This is actually another point I want to make. It's probably worse for the people in the room with you than you, depending on unless sleep apnea could be a thing. But in your dreams, maybe in fact loud, raucous snores interrupted by pauses and breathing is a marker for sleep apnea, a dangerous sleep disorder that according to National Heart, Lung and Blood Institute, increases risk of heart attack. Arterial fibrillation, asthma, high blood pressure, glaucoma, cancer, diabetes, kidney disease, cognitive and behavior disorders. So if you're you're a a good user of THC, of the cannabis plant, and you don't sleep and you have sleep apnea, it could counteract all the benefits of it, guys. These are the little things that we're talking about, like CBD, THC, none of it is the cure-all, end-all. I'm I'm listing an article here that has nothing to do with my podcast that can affect every single person looking to take this plant into their body.
1: Well, I think that that's really what the endocannabinoid system role is in human health is, is that it's it's the master regulatory and modulatory system that, that modulates all these different functions, things like mood and sleep and recovery and digestion and metabolism. And even if you're the healthiest you've ever been, if your master regulatory system isn't being fed, you're not you're not functioning as an optimal human being. So we start to look at like, like you said, like deep sleep, right? Or, or the deep sleep or all the recovery happens, you know, theoretically, like I'm picturing, this is when CBD is the most, the most beneficial is because this is when your body is going to work. So if your body's in a deeper sleep, right? And your, your re- re- recovery molecules are going to work per this delegation of this molecule, Conceptually, we can start to see people recovering better and healing better and sleeping better, which means my guess is that a lot of these, these lower level ailments will probably start to phase out of our demographic. Just people that use cannabis just by nature of like healing the machine and doing, you know, allowing these this master regulatory system to actually be fed with all of the cannabinoids because chances are your body probably needs a certain amount of all of these cannabinoids and terpenes really for balance right we talk about homeostasis and like cannabis's ability to to bring balance to the mate the the uh, mind and body right and if that's the case that means there's probably some sort of you know per, you know proportion of cannabinoids that interact with your body perfectly that put you in this perfect sense of balance so now that we can, we're really starting to understand like hey we know a little bit about two cannabinoids what we're seeing already is profound and it's just getting started imagine what we're gonna see in five ten years when it's like we get a federal deschedulization and it goes from a one to a three and researchers can like start applying for federal grants we're gonna go we're already have skyrocketing. We're going to go, we're going to plummet straight up. I mean, the amount of intellectual property and just like academic breakthroughs that are coming to this industry alone are going to be textbook worthy. So I think people take for granted of how lucky we are to be in like, this is a gold rush, but with something that will have lasting effects for centuries. I really believe that. That's right. To me, I believe this industry is going to replace
0: the opioid industry. That 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 whole pharmaceutical, uh, um, I I think it's just going to be a phoom, that's going to go away. It's going to be like a blip in our history. I mean, I mean, the open it at in your mind. How long's it been? I mean, you were kind of a part of it for a small micro microsecond, right?
1: Yeah, I was. I wasn't on opiates. Um, I've never been. Okay. I've taken like one half of a Vicodin my entire life, and I got so sick I puked in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, and I never had another painkiller after that. Half a Vicodin. So I've been, half a Tylenol codeine yes. from my mom. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. That is crazy. That story matches for me. Yeah. So oh. I've never, uh, I've never, uh, luckily, have gotten into and uh, did that, but I know a lot of people that have who've had a lot. A lot of bad effects, but I think that if it doesn't wipe it out, I think there is a place for pharmaceuticals because what we're seeing with like the way that CBD interacts with some of these receptors that opiates receptor opiates act on and other drugs too. Like, there's a lot of research in CBD and diabetes now and insulin regulation. We're starting to see that CBD seems to be able to like enhance. Um, the, the the receptors that it works on, which means maybe we can use less, you know, use CBD in conjunction with these medications and yield the same effect with less medicine. So maybe it's like, yeah, there is a room for opiates, for true pain management, but you're not going home with 30 milligrams a day. You're going home with five and within three days you're done. So you get three quarter pills, right? I think there is a place for that. But when that happens, there's gonna be a big cut to somebody's bottom line. And unfortunately that bottom line is are the really kind of the main opposition in this industry right now, because there's no rational reason why cannabis shouldn't be legal, why people are still getting arrested and thrown in jail, why we are there's, there's billions and billions of dollars being made. There's never been a single cannabis related overdose death since 15,000 BC. There is, it's, it's more irrational that, it, that it's not legalized. And the only reason that I can possibly think of, and this is not me being a conspiracy theorist, this is being a realist, is that the money at the top is afraid of what is going to happen to their bottom line. It's the only rational argument.
0: The way Kevin just driving out of Washington was it was a, it's a slow moving engine. It's not going to start out of Washington, but I think that the roadblocks being put up are, are are close to what you're saying, right? Like the roadblocks to 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 this whole wave have definitely been slower yeah. because of the obstacles caused by what the 17 pharmaceutical companies that that own the whole industry or 13, whatever the number is. I don't want to. And then and it hurts again. I th- I think we had another traffic safety study come out in the last week that that backed our proponents uh, did you see that by any chance
1: yeah it said that there's no link between like cannabis fatalities and legal states there's no they've been writing this public health oppositional wave saying that states that legalize see an increase in traffic related fatalities no that's the amount of people that showed up that had that tested positive for having THC in their bloodstream but THC stays in your bloodstream for four to six weeks so it's like it's it's null and void and THC testing is not a strong objective measure for impairment so anything associated with THC testing is is null and void it needs to be washed out so that study coming in at the perfect time is just Further proving our point that okay, the public health argument, right, that you're making, it's no longer an argument. I don't want to hear that argument. I don't want to hear the gateway drug theory argument. I definitely don't want to hear. Well, what are we going to do when we have to retire our drug dogs? That's literally what the that's literally an argument that I had to defend. That said, we just paid like fifteen thousand dollars to have these three dogs trained to sniff out marijuana. What's going to happen if we don't have to use them? It's like, dude, we're not telling you, you got to take them to the pound or euthanize them. Maybe they'll just have to retire and be pets. Shucks. So you're willing to put your three drug drug dogs that you spent 15 grand on at a priority over an entire community of people that need this as medicine and an economy that needs a, a capital boost. I'm like, how do you even have credibility to stand on a public forum, let alone get elected? I was like, hey, you're the problem. Small town? Was it a small town person? Uh, it was curious. a county county sheriff and head of, head of chief of police. Like some big people that... Sh-
0: shouldn't speak like shouldn't that. Shouldn't well, speak. The, I mean, there was a... What was it? A couple months ago when all the sheriffs across the state, in New York State, like had this big advocacy. They had this big press release and the big... Uh, to do about oh we're against this whole thing because of traffic and everything and then, and then we got the study that just came out, uh, published one week ago and Science and Health Magazine right I'm, I'll read yeah. the title Marijuana legalization not linked to increased traffic traffic deaths study finds Do you mind if I read a couple graphs real Yeah bit? sure Now I didn't look at this before folks so I'll try and get through any of the nonsense But it looks like the three states they're looking at here are Arizona South Dakota and Wyoming. Um, but I'll read a couple things here real quick so we can get some validation. Kansas State University graduate student Andrew Young looked at data on average tra- traffic fatalities over 23 years and used two models to assess the impact of cannabis reform on road safety. Legalizing marijuana is not found to be a statistically significant predictor of fatality rates, he concluded. This finding means that the legalization of marijuana for both medical and recreational rep- 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 excuse me, medical and recreational purposes is not associated with either a reduction or increase in fatalities per 100,000 vehicle miles traveled. In Arizona, where medical cannabis is legal, average traffic fatalities mirrored those of Wyoming and South Dakota, South Dakota where marijuana is prohibited. There it is, folks. New York state sheriffs. I'm sorry. If you all want to get in a room and talk to normal, I'm sure they would host you. If you want to be on my podcast at any point and we want to talk about research studies and actual, like let's look at the 2012 study out of the university of Florida that talks about the, the the gateway drugs are not the cannabis plant. It is alcohol and tobacco. It's a study that we can sit down and, but yet you allow those on your roads, guys. Like you let people flick
1: cigarettes out the windows well, but the, you want to you want to say cannabis is well the problem is is that police and government isn't as institutions are not allowed to use cannabis. You cannot be a government employee, right? And you could probably attest to that from your experience, right? I so I got tested when I went in the postal service. Then the only
0: once you're in the postal service and get a job, you never get tested again, unless maybe they have some kind of cause and right. you can go through a formal procedure, which is like a ten step procedure. So you you'd know well in advance if you had to do that. And or, number two, the drivers of 18 wheelers and the yep. over the road drivers, they have to follow the department of transportation, okay. but everybody within the post service never had to be tested again, unless it was some kind of issue with job, you know, basically job, but none at all. Like, how about this? We have the most vehicles on the road, carriers, letter carriers on the road. If you are a Time Warner van operator, okay, so you work for Time Warner, Spectrum, any a cable yeah. company, you get in an accident, you have to go for a drug test that minute. This is a true story. If you work for the post office, which there are way more postal vehicles on the road than Spectrum, all the cable companies, and uh, telephone companies, all combined in this country, not one of those drivers will ever be tested for anything after they get done with their accident. Ever.
1: Ever. But you, if found, they found out you were using cannabis, could would fire you upon a piss test, right? No, no. Well, I wouldn't have... I would have had
0: to have some kind of legal cause of me not doing my job to be put up for the piss test. They couldn't just say, oh, we heard you smoke pot, and now you're going to piss test. Now, if I was a... I was... Um, my 18-year post-career, I was always a level 17 supervisor. I was hired as a level 17, and I, I resigned, when I resigned, I was level 17. So I stayed the same level. I uh, had a lot of different jobs within that level. Um, but... Never was I ever, I never, I think I had one piece of paper of discipline written against me once and it was because my boss had to do it because it was a bad mystery shop at Lowman's Plaza, and I was the manager of the main office windows in Lowman's Plaza, <laughs> and I wasn't in that building, couldn't control it, it got thrown away, and then there was another piece that was put in by my uh, manager over at Westgate, and nobody told me it was in my file, I found out a year later, and they had all pulled it out, they all did it behind my back because it was something that the big boss wanted that, that everybody knew I didn't do wrong, um, but basically it was in my jacket, I never knew it. Until Boni and Terry Burke—they can all validate this story. It's a true story. I'll name their names because I was—I can't even tell you how angry I was about it. I never signed the piece of paper or anything, but it was in my jacket. Okay. That got pulled the minute that our union found out about, and that never piece of discipline ever. So, I, I was very good at what I did. I was a project manager for the post office. Yeah. I did sales last three years. I helped. I was in three hundred businesses, so there's never a cause. But I can tell you what, as a supervisor, I never. I was more worried about people on pills and alcohol yeah. causing in, uh, issues with, to themselves than anybody who was ever a pot smoker that worked for me that I knew was a, a user of cannabis. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think that we have to, you know, take into so you know responsible use and personal accountability when it comes to anything. You know, like I don't think that you should if it affects you in a certain way. You know, some people I've, I've fully functioning, I fully function high. Right. I can do anything. I work out, I read, I study, I get up early, I go to bed late, I work, I built this great business and I've done it pretty much high, you know? Some people it doesn't work like that. So you have to be able to be responsible and know when is a good time. So if you're going to work, if you're getting behind the wheel of a school bus or you have a job that's going to rely on, you know, you being fully aware and, you know, not under the influence, then no, you shouldn't use cannabis, just like you wouldn't get up and drink a bottle of liquor or do a bunch of cocaine, right? Any sort of substance, right? Just like you shouldn't go to Starbucks and drink 10 venti lattes because your heart will probably explode. Accountable use and responsibility. We know that making things illegal doesn't prevent them from happening. They just perpetuate the criminal justice system and we can't allow that since there's now people in these cities and states that are making money on the same thing that they're putting people away for so it's like it's it's i love you the word accountable when you put that in there because you know that's what it is it's
0: it's personal accountability everybody and i would just want to say something right now i've said in past episodes if i just want to validate one more time i was never ever high while working at the post office that was the one thing that i felt myself I didn't need it and I had it for afterwards and I was also training heavy as an athlete at the time. Um, So I I just like to put that out there to make sure that nobody ever questions the fact that I was never, ever high because it was just one of those things that I, that was when I was a journalist, I was high all the time as a journalist. And since then uh, I I have my own, I have my own company and I'm high when I'm working for my own company. Like, you know, I'll be honest, that's the only time I wasn't. So I just want to validate that. Sorry.
1: Yeah, <laughs> disclaimer.
0: No, that's right, I, I got it, you know, cause I, I'm not a liar and I need to make sure I'm honest to everybody. But I wanna get on to normal now, cause so we talked about CBD a lot, we talked about uh, our jobs a little bit, how it's affected our life, but now I really want to, the last piece of this, uh, I wanna talk a lot about normal, not just a little bit, because I don't know much about it. I'd love to know the history that you know about normal. Um, and, and the official title is uh, Normal, um, what is it, The National Organization of the Reform of Marijuana Laws, and the, the moniker is working to reform marijuana laws, right? That's, yeah. And when did it start?
1: Uh, it started 50 years ago. We're coming up on uh, founded in 1970 by Keith Stroop. Um, like I said, it's the oldest and largest consumer cannabis, advocacy organization in the country, uh, 165 chapters, um, But yeah, we've been behind much of the federal and state reform. We do have a federal chapter, which is located in D.C. Um, They're great. They're a great resource for us. They've been essentially there is a chapter incubator. So they gave us they helped us really get off the ground, provided us a ton of resources. It's a very it's a very strong, very uh, well organized grassroots uh, organization that has made pretty much all the change at the local, state and federal level here. Um, And our organization, you know, like I said, we're. We're young, we're still in our infancy, and um, we have just been able, we've done been very strategic, Uh, we've worked very smart, um, and we've been able to leverage just our connections, our ability to use social media, and be able to you know, you can create mass waves and have a huge voice when you know how to build an audience online systematically and know how to how to convey messages and write call to actions and do these things because we've built, you know, this rock normal, which most people think we're this huge institution by the way we present ourselves online. But little do most people know, it's like, we're a a three man, three person organization that is all working full-time jobs, but it's like you can do a lot with a little, you know, little resources. We never even had a bank account. You know, we were, we were, We didn't have to, we were able to just build relationships. And the truth is, is that most people are down for the cause. So businesses were like, how can we get involved? How can we sponsor you? Before we knew it, we were like, people wanted to sponsor us. People wanted to host us. People wanted to do events with us. And it just be, it was this, we got lucky because it's a very good topic to be a part of and like to be kind of that foundational organization. And it's like, what we want to do is just attach ourselves to the community and be able to use our brand and use this industry to incubate businesses and people and organizations and be able to be kind of that fourth part of democracy and that's like a true or, you know, true people led organization funded by the people work for the people. You know, I, I honestly, I don't really care what happens in Syracuse or Buffalo or New York. I care about what happens in Rochester and Monroe County. And we want to be that hub. You know, I, we, we want to be the incubator that if you want to be a grower or you want to be an extractor, or you have an idea, you come to us and we're going to help you with the legal process and help you formulate ideas and help you get funding and help you be compliant and help build the industry here and say, Hey, well, you're a grower, you're an extractor, and you're a retail. How about we all team up and work together and build a self-sustainable city? So really, ours, while we have been doing a lot of the politics, because that all sounds fine and dandy, but if it's not legal, then it's all going to be for nothing, but... Um, yeah. Once we get the green light, I mean, this is really going to be a very incubation based community building um, entity. And we want to be we want to make sure that everybody gets an equal and fair chance to to make a living and be part of this great industry.
0: No, I think the wave is coming around Rochester. We definitely have some product makers around here that can make this strong, which which I'm very excited about. I know I want to be part of it. Uh, and speaking of events. I have to plug mine now for the first time on on air, but May 11th, uh, I'm having a little, uh, Empoletic podcast party. Uh, I'm want to celebrate the people who've been on my episodes already. Uh, it's also a chance for me to, uh, do a little bit of, uh, marketing because I can't do any nationally because it, like you mentioned before, nationally, there's still this big stigma against that cannabis leaf. Uh, so I can't, I get 30, of my promotions on Instagram, 30 where it now yeah. turned down. So I'm having a two hour session at the Riot room, which is brand new on East Avenue. We are going to destroy stuff. Cause I said, we are, we are, uh, we were well exercised. We have our cannabis, uh, we live life right and healthy, but, all of us have that little angst in we need sure. to get out. So that's yeah. why I wanted to do it at the Riot Room. Uh, so I hope Normal comes in as part of the event. Um, so this is my formal invitation to you to join the event. Oh, yeah. Um, but Normal, and so let's get back to the National Normal because I really want to understand, like, how Normal started. Like, was there a specific, like, who's the first guy or the first action, like, that happened that made Normal, like, become more than just, like, a group of, like, hippies?
1: Yeah, so Keith Stroop founded it in 1970, and I, I'll be honest, I'm not as well versed in nor, normal as a federal organization's history. Um, I do know that it was founded in 1950 as a, I mean, as a as a one entity, like a couple small pe- a couple people at this entity, and has grown, you know, over the last 50 years as a grassroots, truly organic organization, and. You know, they have, you know, 50 years ago, we were right at the hype of reefer madness, you know, and it's like from there to an almost, you know, to where we are now, like 11 states legal, 33 medicinal on the cusp of a federal legalization with our neighbors to the north legalized in Canada federally. And it's like a lot of that has been uh, we can attribute to a handful of people right that you know that's right in each state yeah that's right
0: yeah it's banging on the legislatures. yeah Uh, so i see here normal lobbies congress right that's one of the systems and i see it says a 50 state legislative tracking system explain a little bit how that
1: works so, yeah. So they use, they have a, res- uh, they do bill tracking, right? So it helps. So that's one of the resources that helps us stay um, organized and stay relevant because there is so much information, especially circulated in the political realm or bills, you know, multiple bills for different, you know, safe banking act versus the MRTA or all these different bills that unless you have a good filtration system, then like we're getting everything. I don't need to know what's going on in, in Massachusetts or in North Dakota. I need to be, you know, knowing on what's going here or knowing what's going on on here and they have really created a a, a good Really strong operation for helping to get us the information that's relevant to our chapters and helping to formalize us and helping to you know I've made small business connections through them like uh, celebrity connections like big time endorsements like we really they are a great resource and they're you know they're funded but you know there's nobody in this organization that's rich you know there's probably people that are working that most of them probably have part time jobs I know we're all volunteer but like even the people at National man they do a great job and they really have built something really. Beautiful that they're going to be. They're going to go down in the textbooks as one of the greatest activism organizations ever. I really believe that. Yeah,
0: I'm just reading right now. So, so people know, go to normal. You go to website n o r m l dot org, and it's just so funny to me that it spells out normal, which is so not what we are. Like we are not normal people. We are we are the opposite of normal. The new normal we're the new normal that's right we're creating the new normal we're helping to educate the new normal i know i've been on this put on this planet for a bigger reason than just raise kids and do the mundane live in a house compete with the joneses till i die live in a nursery i I know i've not been that guy since day i I was born and it's just so funny it's normal
1: (laughs) it's not yeah i'm not sure if they meant to have that that uh that semantic, you know, meaning. But I think that as we realize, you know, it is the new normal. It's not people were in, you know, used to, we, we have it easy as being, you know, white guys who really don't ever have to worry about getting caught or going to jail. And there's a, a whole other demographic of people that can't do that in public or even be caught with it because it's a huge, it's a, it could change your life. So now that it's becoming normal, for us, I think for me especially, it's always kind of been normal and I think that's part of the privilege of, you know, being the way that I was, you know, being born into the situation that I was in. But I'm really excited for people who've historically been, had targets on their backs, especially because of the color of their skin and how much money they have and where they live and... Um, I think hopefully they really get to experience the new normal where, Hey, we can all enjoy this medicine that as a culture, which was really built on the black backs of black and brown people and really be able to see them prosper and be able to see people as a community, all people, all colors, all races, uh, be able to enjoy this, this, this industry. Cause there's, this is the one, this is the one, you know, I always say cannabis isn't going to save the world, but I think it's the one thing that can. And I think it's the one thing that will bring people together. Um, so yeah, I look forward to to the new normal and for everybody to kind of enjoy the privilege that I'm sure you and I both got to enjoy similarly growing up. So
0: Yeah, and I, I worked in the city, I've said it many times, I worked in this inner city of Rochester my whole life, and uh, I definitely have seen a lot of changes, but it, it always drove me crazy that uh, the cannabis plant was a target of law enforcement-wise. Um, when the, the heavier drugs, I was always an advocate not to have them on the streets because I saw that's where the issues were, but I never, like I played basketball in most of the outdoor courts in the city of Rochester in my lifetime, one way or another, even if it was just playing with my uncles on, on the middle of fight square or something. But, uh, I've, when I smell the cannabis plant in the air, when I'm playing basketball in a group where I'm most likely the only white guy which has happened way more often in my life than than people would probably imagine. Um, I never feel unsafe, uncomfortable, anything. I'm always accepted. I'm smelling like it too. So it's all good. And and I I just, it's cannabis plant is the thing that
1: brings everybody together. It's a very inclusive industry. It's like, We all, it's, it's like such an instant icebreaker, you know, it's like people come in just like at that party, you know, that we had on 420. There were peoples of all ages, races, you know, different, different everything. And it was like, no one looked at you, you know, who we just looked for, everybody was just like here, we're having a good time. We're people, we love each other. And it's like. It's great to see that because, you know, I try not even to watch the news anymore. It just brings me down, but it's just like, I just can't even believe that like this much hate and racism still exists in this, you know, almost you know 2019. And I've never grown up to have any of that in my heart ever. And neither has my family. So for me, it's like foreign that people can actually think that, but it's very real, uh, especially in this industry. So yeah, I'm excited to just be a part of an industry that is gonna bring a lot of change, especially socially. Um, economically, agriculturally, medicine, medicinally, scientifically, um, yeah, I think we're right on. We're right on the tippy top of you know. The second we get that green light, it's going to be all hands on deck. The foundation is there, no doubt, especially yeah. in the
0: state. We're ready. So, so tell me a little bit about the creation of Rock Normal. The like, who who's involved? Like, who was the first person? Like, like give me the the, yeah. the beginning origin
1: story here. So, our fearless leader, Mary Kruger. Um, shout out to her. She is awesome. She started the organization about a year half and a half ago now. Um, and it was really kind of just a, a startup at the time. There was a bunch of people that were on the board. It wasn't that organized. It was just an idea and some like-minded folks who, um, had a mission and it was kind of, you know, just like I startup, a little misguided. And then, um, I happen to, you know, our, our director of communications, who is just a fantastic artist and helps make all the things that we do look good and just makes, does all of our graphic work and our art had got involved earlier than I did. Um, And then I got started about eight months ago. Um, I had actually walked into Hemp It Up randomly for the first time and uh, to buy some stuff and they were having this meeting. So I decided to sit in and got more and more involved and become, became really interested in the politics side of this. And hemp it up is located, uh, on park Ave, uh, right by body mind float center. Uh, his name's David. He's an awesome guy. Really kind of planted the seeds in the hemp industry. He was one of the first movers to start really having CBD and good quality hemp products here in the city. So shout out to him. He's a, and had a little bit of mentorship from him getting started. So he's a really cool guy, definitely down for the cause, but, uh, Yeah, we got involved, you know, I got involved about eight months ago and Mary and uh, Reverend Sam, who's our graphics or our communications director and myself really kind of formulated this power team where, Mary handled the political stuff. I handled the member stuff and membership stuff and rev made it all look good. And we used, so we created a a consistent message constantly. We partnered with the start smart coalition, which was uh, headed by the drug policy Alliance. Uh, Got to work with Cassandra Frederick, who is just an awesome activist and just a very powerful woman. Who's great to have her as like a a political mentor. How lucky are we to have like one of the most leading voices um, in this industry and in just in, 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 drug policy in general. Um, so working with the Start Smart Coalition, which is a coalition comprised of, I think over 30, maybe even 40 organizations similar to rock-normal nonprofits, co-ops all around New York that really bound together to have the same message when it came to uh, cannabis legalization. We're can- we want cannabis legalization focused on small business um, and putting social justice at the forefront. That's amazing. Yeah. So That's what,
0: that's what you need at the grassroots level. That's, yeah. that's what offsets these nonsense yeah conversations coming out of uneducated people.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. It's like this industry was one, it will be won by a bunch of little guys banding together to form one very powerful, one very educated big guy. You know, it's like, you know, we are, to get rock normal as an individual entity would never have been able to make, you know, this much change by ourselves. You know, it was like, thanks to the drug policy Alliance and places like Metro justice and all the organization empire state normal, which is our normal chapter down in New York city, who is just awesome. They're a political powerhouse and they are getting slapped around because long Island is not receptive to cannabis. Um, take their cannabis prohibition prohibition. It's very, uh, very much. So it's, they're having a hard time, uh, really pushing this progressive agenda a lot harder than the time we're having up here but all these smaller organizations that together have been been a very powerful voice and it has really elevated people who wouldn't normally have a voice especially in this industry and we've you know we were all of us were behind the reason that you know Cuomo's CRTA bill didn't get passed with the budget because it was shit and it was half thought out and it was didn't include people that needed to be included. It was all built around big business. It was a horrible, very selfish, uneducated piece of information or uh, piece of legislation. And we shut it down. And now there's a new uh, bill going through um, legislative right now, uh, the MRTA, another draft, and um, And we should actually see either by the end of the week or next week, a full draft. So I'll have to get back to you. But we're going to go through that. And that'll be the bill that's reintroduced at the end of this legislative session where we either get yay or nay. Um, My guess is we it will go through. But right now, we the entire Republican Party in New York State has come out against cannabis. So I'm sure probably 50 percent of Republicans probably want to to support it because of party loyalty, it'll just take one. So if there's any red, if there's any Republican in New York state that wants to endorse cannabis and be the first one, you will push your political agenda to the end of the world and be a hero in the cannabis world. So I would highly encourage that to happen because it's the, we're expecting a red waterfall. you know. Because at this point, it's like, okay, you don't have to believe in the social justice and the medical and the the home cultivation narrative, which is mainly a, a very progressive uh, narrative. But let's talk about the very quantifiable stuff, the agriculture, the jobs, the money, right? The money in this- Cleaning industry. soil. Yes, everything, it, literally anything, right? The money in this industry should be enough to sell anybody, right? But if you don't even believe, you don't wanna talk about the benjamins we'll talk about agriculture we'll talk about a farming revolution we'll talk about you know the amount of jobs the new uh the rockefeller institute of governor uh, governance just released a report on the 25th that said um they're actually looking to they're actually the amount of money to be generated is actually about 3x than the original 1.2 billion it's actually looking at about 4 billion and looking to employ about 30,000 new jobs in new york state like
0: that's new york state alone folks that's new york they're state talking alone. about nationally 2022 cbd alone a 22 billion dollar industry and this is all actually going to help people it's going to reduce hospital care the stress of the hospital our our systems across the country uh, our needs it's going to reduce more than likely some dependency out there
1: yeah I think and I think that's what we have to embrace. I think a lot of our opposition is fearing that, well, what's if that's relevant, what's going to happen to medicine? It's like, well, what's rather than having, you know, why don't we use the medical infrastructure to do what it's supposed to do in research and understand and not profit? right? And the reason that the medical program and the adult use programs are going back and forth is because it's all about who's going to make the money. The last time that I was, I checked, medical was supposed to be, is supposed to be understanding the greater good of, of human biology and understanding human health, not about profiting. So why are we even having this conversation in the first place? But I understand this is a free capitalist market and there's always going to be money to be made. But if this, the people at the top are smart in their decision making process, you'd say, hey, okay, medical side, you are going to probably take a bottom line because the medicine, that you're dispensing are probably going to disappear. But now we're going to start giving you millions of dollars in research grants to fund the exact research that we are all saying we so desperately need while the front end, the adult use markets are using it as the retail to make money and money goes back in. If you're, you know, you you can even factor in a municipality tax where a half a percent of tax money from from the local municipalities goes back into local institutions, right? You imagine what 1% of just like, you know, $10 million or like, you know, 100, whatever it is on top of, you know, government funded research, that's a lot of money to go into this plant. So it's like, we have to be creative in the way that we're going to satiate this fear of, you know, the bottom line depleting um, because it is there, but we have to, the problem is, is that unless you understand it at the capacity that we do, it's still just this plant that, you know, when you light on fire makes you high. So I think that if I could get the right people in the right room for like 30 to 45 minutes and be able to tell this narrative, the headache of, of being a, a political activist would probably Start to go away, um, but it, you're lucky enough for you, if you can get a, a fifteen mi- minute meeting with their staff, or let alone like forty minute story time. So, oh yeah,
0: I'm well aware how this yeah. works. Yeah, yeah. So. My cousin's wife used to work for Senator Jill DeBrand mm. so the whole the whole game, and it, it's just funny. to me. I sit here and I just listen to this, all this stuff going on behind yeah. the scenes, um, and at the end of the day, organizations like normal are helping make sure that we have good legislation that passes just instead of just any legislation, yeah. that's the most important thing.
1: Well, it's like. We kind of got a little bit of of flack after it didn't go through the budget saying, you guys are the reasons we didn't pass it. If you would have just let it pass, you could have fixed the mistakes later. It is much harder to go back and fix something than it is to do it right once, and our our. We're seeing evidence in that of our sister chapter in Las, Las Vegas Normal. Uh, Maddie Saglabini, who was one of our founding uh, members, too, she they instituted a very... Nevada instituted a very similar um, big business-focused bill, and they're, they're having to go back and do a ton of lobbying because there's a huge illicit market problem because when you only allow eight people to have licenses... There's only eight different, you know, there's a lot of price fixing and all the bad things that happen when you only allow biz, big business access. There's no competition. There's It's no longer a fair market. So in this industry, not only is there a ton more pot around, but if they're not going to buy it from the from the dispensaries, they're going to go buy it off the streets. So as consumers, they had better access to more cannabis for cheaper, so now they have an illicit market problem. And if we would have just allowed the CRTA to go through, that's exactly what would have happened. Amen. Oh, yeah. Nothing would have changed. Our black Nothing. market
0: would have been the same yeah. or worse.
1: And people would have still been in jail because there wasn't going to be resentencing or resealing of records or expungement. Like, you're about to see all a couple people profit off this billion-dollar industry while there's people still sitting in jail. Like, that's just like... That's just our system wrapped up in one. So and, and that's
0: a good point because I think that's one of the things I saw on the web normal website, right, is uh, Washington, lawmakers pass legislation facilitating expunging of past marijuana convictions. This is the kind of things you can find on the normal website, folks.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that they're worried about for resealing and resentencing is that they're going to have to go through tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of data to figure out what's getting resentenced, what's going to be, what's going to change in the legal system. Because it's not just like, okay, there's the marijuana button and everything is going to change, right? But there's actually this company, I think they're based out of the West Coast called Code for America. And they're actually an organization that created this algorithm. There's a piece of technology that goes through this type of data and auto expunges and reseal records. So essentially goes through and as and a filter. Um, and they're doing it for a couple different states. So I think if the issue was, yeah, we really wanna reseal and, and kind of decriminalize and kind of take this out of the legal system, but we're afraid it's gonna, it, it's gonna clog up all the work that our people are already overwhelmed with. Well, hey, now we have some technology. So I think that, you know, with all of these fears that our opposition has i think it's maybe not necessarily fear but it's like well what about the solution if we start approaching these like okay well maybe there's issues with you know public health and driving well how can we create a solution how can we create a better test around testing impairment right because we have to figure out impairment not thc so impairment goes for any drug let's figure out a universal way to test impairment whether it's booze or pot or drugs or you're Or you're eight years old and you yeah. shouldn't
0: be driving a car I mean, yeah, that's just as bad on the road as, as possibly someone who medicated wrong with the wrong kind of THC or drank yeah. too much or had a bad day working. They're stressed out and they're rifling through cigarettes. Yeah. Chain smoking their car and they're just
1: out of their mind. Yeah, You're impaired. You're every one of those people's impaired guys. It's that's, so it's like coming to these issues with solutions Instead of, it's not a problem, like, here's, it's not a problem. Well, hey, it may be a problem, right? We're not arguing that some of your fears aren't problems, but they're not yet problems. They're stipulations and they're fear-based stipulations. But here's some some, some plausible solutions. So we have now have come to, like, some of these, you know, police conferences and these podcasts where we've had to talk to the opposition and say, hey, not only do we, we have th- two, st- Uh, solutions to your one plausible fear that you have. So it's like, even in all the states that are saying, even in all the states that have proved over and over that public health wise, that there's no increase in like driving fatalities with cannabis, right? Here's the data. And if you don't believe that, here's two other solutions that we're going to help you in case that does happen. So it's like, I think approaching it much better, you know, education first, and then Solution based after will has been very powerful. But like I said, it's like trying to get have these productive conversations with the right people for an elongated amount of time is nearly impossible. So So tell
0: me about the relationships you've established. You mentioned earlier in the podcast and I just to touch about it again with the with the senators, or, you know, the politicians you've been working yeah. with uh, Because I want to I want to give them more kudos out And have mentioned again uh, Because they really are advocates in our corner yeah. uh, and I want to make sure people know who they are um, one of the also one of the things I raised a family, raised kids. I can't make a difference at a national level, but I also didn't know where to go to find information to see what was going on. So so that, explain the normal website a little bit, maybe what services people can find there by going there, because I'm looking at it, but I don't want to describe it to people. I want you to.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we, especially around election time, we'll do a good job of making sure, like here's where, here's where politicians stand on the issue. Normal as a federal organization um, does cannabis, like um, politician report cards. So where do they stand on cannabis? How has their, you know, their ideologies changed? What are they doing? Uh, but yeah, like some of the, the big players in the New York cannabis game are Senator Liz Krueger, who's uh, down in uh, Manhattan or down in New York City. Uh, As a senator down there, an assemblywoman, Crystal People Stokes, who's the majority speaker. um, Senator Liz Kruger wrote the MRTA, which has actually been in circulation for about six years, but keeps getting denied. And Crystal People Stokes was the first assembly person to to co-sponsor and really champion it. Um, So then from there, um, we had, you know, David Gottfried. um, A lot of, you know, a lot of people uh, on the assembly have been have been. Um, have championed this issue. Um, the Senate, because we are a newly democratic Senate, um, this issue is controversial. So even if they do believe it, re- controversial issues tend to stay out of the conversation as much as possible. Um, so the support is there on the Senate, but it's just a matter of vocalizing it. But um, yeah, between Senator Liz Krueger, I mean, we've sit, sat down with their chiefs of staff and them multiple times, especially Assemblywoman Stokes, because People Stokes, because um, she's right out of Buffalo, we've had many, many close conversations with them. So it's really cool to see like, okay, what's really happening? Because, you know, before I got in politics, you know, if you know you're looking at the news and you're relying on media for information and political information, but when you sit down and you actually talk to the people who are writing the laws and are actually making the decisions, you tend to see that what's actually happening and what the media is portraying are vastly different. Even in the in the media that we've been involved with, the narratives that have been rewritten. When we sat down with for for forty minutes for two interviews with News Eight and Ten and Thirteen, and then all of a sudden we turn on the eight o'clock news and it's like you just completely wrote the narrative and copy and pasted what we said to fit that. I'm like that is wrong but that's what happened so for me it was like a huge eye-opening experience is like if you're going to learn and you're going to like commit to truth hear it from the source don't take any take everything you hear with a grain of salt be very weary of the media vet all of your sources like that's what we're very weary of like all the sources and all the information we put out um who we talk to to get information but yeah especially you know politics will really eye open you know open your eyes to information validity and lack of validity Something you mentioned earlier intrigued
0: me. You said you guys didn't even have a, have a bank account at one point. So most people think lobbying is big money, all this other stuff. I, explain how you guys make a difference without having a big fat bank account with thousands of dollars love
1: coffers, right? I mean Yeah. Um well traditional lobbying. Um, which is a really nice way paid lobbying and like donating is a really nice way to say is bribing, you know, essentially what it is. So you, you buy your way in as a donor. So if I was going to be, if I wanted to get in touch with Andrew Cuomo, the chances of me as a grassroots cannabis activist, having a sit down with Andrew Cuomo is slim to none. But if I say, Hey, I'm going to be a a, a big time contributor and I'm going to donate a hundred thousand dollars, but I'm going to need you to sit down with me for in my posse for one hour. I mean, that's, that's how lobbying works, but it's a donation, right? Um, So what we have to do is we have to do it kind of the old fashioned way where we have to, you know, get the phone calls and the emails and schedule meetings with staffers. And, you know, on three separate occasions, we, took the hike to to Albany, the three of us, four of us at one point, Um, got an Airbnb, got up, went to our meetings all throughout the Capitol building, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, and sat down and said, okay, you know Pamela Helming, out of you know Wayne County Republican Senator. She seems to be very. She's against cannabis, but she's her interest seem to lie in agriculture. So when we go to her, we say, "Hi, here's all the statistics on why it supports agriculture." While you might go to another senator or assembly person who's like, "Oh, you seem to be interested in the opioid epidemic. Here's data for that." And it works remarkably well, especially because all the information is like, "Oh, you just see what committees that they're on, right?" So you've put their committees out. Luckily, there's an argument for cannabis for every realm of the this world. And we just start, you know, making our meetings, we go in, we educate, we ask all the right questions and say, are you willing to put your name on this bill? And more often than not, people are, are, will say, yes, there's always going to be politicians that tend to linger, right? They don't ever, they just know how to be good politicians, right? They kind of stay, you know in the background noise, rich funky is very much like that. He sends, he's a good politician cause he just knows when to say something and when not to say something. Um, but he'll never be the first person to an issue. So it's like you have these champions and then you have people that hide. But if once you get more and more people to commit, you'll have these other politicians that'll come out in the woodwork and start to say stuff. But it's, 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 it's a science just as much of an art and it's fun. I love it. Um, but it, uh, it's, it's, it would be a lot easier if you know we had coffers of cash, but I you know it'd probably be too easy. Did you come up with these contacts
0: due to just because you're affiliated with now with Normal? You you basically get a foot in the door just because you're affiliated with Normal and, and you're a chapter? Or did the Empire or the New York City chapter kind of help you forge these relationships?
1: Uh, we It's been a combination of things. Um, it was really just a matter of... I mean, Mary got a lot of the context when she first started, but really linking up with DPA and really learning how to, once you learn how to lobby and do stuff like that, it's like, okay, here's how you find the, the politician, right? Because really they work for us. So there's a certain process that you have to go through for them to talk to you. They cannot not talk to you. They work for us. They represent us. But like me getting a, 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 um, a meeting with somebody in, in Monroe County is different than somebody who lives there because you should be a constituent. So then it's like, All right, if whatever we have in our group, if we're their constituents, we're going to make the meetings because they have to sit down with us. And then we say, okay, we'll bring our whole crew with us. And if none of us are constituents, we'll find somebody else. So say you live in Syracuse and there's no normal members, but we need to talk to somebody in Syracuse to say, hey, if you live in, you know, 14609, right, or whatever, yeah, yeah, 130244, whatever, yeah, yeah, I got you. Come to a meeting, let us. Be our our, be our, our horse, yeah, yeah, be yeah be be our, exactly. Or whatever, yeah. So there's a method to our madness, and you know, like I said, if we had money, it'd be it would be much simpler. But it's also allowed us to be like really navigate. You know, first this we have this meeting, and truthfully, cannabis. I've heard this actually on a podcast this morning. Is that political or? elected officials are much more likely to take meetings in this space, uh, with grassroots activists. They don't like the suitors. They don't like the medical people and the big business people. They love grassroots cannabis activists. So for us, you know, we went to Albany a couple months ago and we got nine meetings. It was a very busy day, but we sat down with nine senators and assembly people, most chief of staff granted. Um, uh, but a couple of the actual people and had very, productive, very uh, good conversations and you know you always tend to associate lobbying with rallying and noise and pickets and and while that there's a time and a place for that you know the closed doors meetings and the education is where we've seen our most success so it's been a very strategic very pinpoint very intelligent lobbying effort and it's worked remarkably for us just to help validate something you said. My, my cousin's
0: wife, when she, she was working in the political, both in New York State and then at the federal level with, with Senator Gild- Gildebrand, I apologize, I always say her name wrong. You learn that basically the staffers are the well-educated people. So, so her role was to gain information on a certain segment, and she had to learn everything she could about it and write policy for yeah. it that would come out under her senator's name. Right. Like a lot of these times these senators aren't writing this stuff themselves, people. So if he if he says he has a meeting and he didn't see the senator, sometimes that's not the best worst thing because you want to actually be in the room with the person who's gaining the research information for that. I mean, it's always good to have that quick conversation maybe with that politician, yeah. but generally speaking, there's one staffer assigned to learn everything about the cannabis industry from every politician. you get in the room with that person, that's when you're working best, right? Am I right? Yeah,
1: I I would agree. I mean, most of it's a very complicated issue and they're dealing with an ocean of complicated issues. So we can't expect them to be even really educated on the issue at all, let alone at the level that we are. So it is good because most of the staffers have some sort of an idea and are receptive to it, especially because it's not their name on the decisions. Uh, But the problem is a, the relaying of that information um, and how it's time, right? We're, We're always working against the clock. So it's like, half of it is accountability. When we get that person in the room, we're asking the right questions, saying, are you, where is your position on this? What would need to change? What is this? What is this? You get them to, you, you get them to commit. It's kind of, it's a weird form of communication. It's not like you and I sitting here and, and shooting the crap. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's very structured, almost kind of a, we haven't really had any hostile communication but it's it's it hasn't always been the most informal um but it's the luck, cool thing about cannabis is that most people do like to talk about it except some of the republicans are like oh god the devil's let us you guys want to legalize cannabis but like most people just want to be educated you know you have a conversation you start talking endocannabinoid science and stuff like that and they're like wait what is it? what so you have to be patient or hopefully they had one testimonial
0: story in their family of like an aunt or an uncle or, or somebody who had like Parkinson's and it
1: it relieved some of their, and they're like, now they're intrigued by it. Right. Yeah. You can always hope for anecdote. That's what has built this industry. Um, Most people will never admit it, but most people like that have, have had some sort of story where it's like, yeah, that's really kind of foundationally how I got involved in cannabis. And then you kind of, you know, you don't, it could be easy to go in there and word vomit all over them for 15 minutes. You know, word, a start but at least you lay down the foundation high we're normal this is what we do we understand that you sit on the committee of of, you know ag and markets and you guys are looking for you know your farmers are having an issue with you know crop yield well just to let you know insert 157 facts about hemp um this is where we'll leave it and all of a sudden they're like well no one's ever presented it like that because every time i read about cannabis it's some hippie smoking a joint and you know it's reefer and you 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 talk to them based on, you know, like people, like scientists, and it's, 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 it's yeah. an easy flip. It really is an easy pitch. Like m- many people don't realize that
0: if you have a field that you're growing and you'd maybe put in a little hemp in that field, there are such benefits in that field just having that hemp in there oh, yeah. so, aside from your other crops. I mean, there's so many, not even just growing, like it'll draw in like certain wildlife that might help. Like there's so many different, it'll pull the arsenic out of an apple orchard. Like it's amazing.
1: Yeah. Hemp actually has some very, um, I guess it would be, they kind of have like some sponge properties where when you plant hemp, it essentially can, um, take up all the bad nutrients and all the toxins out of soil. Um, and I like, I always think it was like, Oh, why don't they, you know, plant hemp in Chernobyl or a place where there's chemical spills or a place where there's like, you know, in Flint where the water was, you know, or the land was poisoned or something. But like, especially in like the way, how densely you can, plant hemp too. Uh, my friend, Zach Sarkis over at the New York State Hemp Lab, who is just an hemp and agriculture guru when it comes to this stuff, told me that when there's enough, um, you could plant enough hemp essentially along the I-90 corridor between Rochester and Syracuse that it could essentially create a, uh, an oxygen farm, a carbon farm, right? Which could help to restore the local um, ozone layer in the local atmosphere just by how much carbon dioxide it would take from the air and how much oxygen it would put into the air and i'm just like that is just like you cut down on like biofuel usage and like start p- pushing like solar energy that's why there's a huge sustainability uh, initiative in this industry rightfully so it's a huge there's a huge carbon footprint or, or there could be but you start to couple couple like sustainability with like the knowledge of the hemp having this type of like lung capacity for the state you can start to see all consumables aside look look at the energy you know look at the energy market that's going to boom from this so it's like like you said it's very easy to become exce- uh, uh, obsessed over it and once you see it from so many angles it's just like it becomes very fun to talk about
0: it is uh it's consuming and it's consuming because him and i live healthier lifestyles where we accomplish more than a lot more people um we have networks bigger than other people and people want to put 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 us on a pedestal they want to find chinks in our armor because we're just out there trying to educate and help and people want to find chinks because we're uh, all right so what do you do fitness wise you're in good shape how 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 old are you
1: um newly 29 okay um I lift weights in the afternoons. I lift five times a week. Um, I like to do. I like to run in the mornings when I get up. Not every day. I'm better. Sometimes I'm better than other days. But there'll be weeks where I go five, six days. I do it more for like to wake up and more for like cognitive. waking up cognitively for like physical stuff but like fasting cardio and really you know nutrient timing and just eating clean you know i don't have like a sign i never go to the gym with a plan i go in there and say i'm going to lift chest and i'm just going to lift do my strength stuff i'm going to just i know how to work out you know i've just been doing it for so long and i don't have to go in there and work out for three hours or starve myself if i want to eat a pizza a slice of pizza or a whole pizza i do You know, I, 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 everything in moderation, but it's like, I've learned how to work out efficiently. So it's like, if I only have an hour, I used to spend two hours a day. I used to work out three weeks straight with no recovery. And I'd be like, why am I not, I'm working out twice as hard. I'm barely eating anything and I'm not getting any stronger. And I'm always hurt. This doesn't make any sense. And then I like started resting two times a week, working out smart eating properly and getting enough sleep and it's like my my body changed my mind changed like my confidence changed it was just like huh it was much simpler than it you know i had always made it out to be but yeah basic stuff good diet i work out hard so he actually took took away some of his schedule and is getting more benefit
0: out of that anybody picked that up so sometimes everybody's like i don't have time to do everything you're right that's actually probably part of the problem better time management figure out what really matters in your life like Do you need to look through that Facebook or Instagram stream? Just curious. Like if you're sitting there at your desk. Such a waste. You need to look through those streams. But you and I do it for marketing and you and I do it for education. Okay. I I do do it for those two things. But if it's not, I'm not focused on one of those two things. I am not looking at it to see what my cousin or my sister or... I'm sorry to all those people because I know they may look at me for that. And that's why I post. But man, there's so much more productive use of time.
1: I know. Especially like getting, you know, I think the key to being the best in this industry is knowing the most. And in order to having, you know, the internet at our fingertips makes it easy to just consume all day information all day, which has its, you know, you can be the smartest, but then again, if you're just reading and not executing all day, then what's the point? Um, but yeah, you have to, I I heard a statistic today, actually that 95% of people have their phone within arm's length, 24 hours a day. That is an, outrageous and kind of a disturbing fact Uh, but I'm guilty of that and I think most people are so I've been trying to be conscious of like If I'm going to work out, put my phone in my bag, put my earbuds in and go work out and don't look at it. Or at nine o'clock, if I'm going to bed at 1030, do not look at it. Read. No more screen time. So it does feel sometimes like it is a bit of an addiction. Like I have this impulse to like check. Like if I, you know, I put, I run the rock normal Facebook. So I like, Ooh, did we, you know, how many shares are we getting? Or is this message moving? I'm like, dude, who cares? Like if it goes, it goes like check it at the end of the day. So it's easy to, you know, uh, to to get caught up in that stuff. Those are nice things to talk about though, because... You
0: have to actually think and be cognitive. So first of all, you have to look in the mirror. We have, there's a couple of things that are mentioned today on this podcast. Accountable behavior, moderation, fitness, health, exercise, like like all positive things, people. But at the end of the day, that means you have to look in the mirror, say, this is what I'm going to do. And you have to go and do it and know what's best for your body specifically, not, yeah. not your girlfriend's body. And try and do what she's doing because her body's not your body. It's okay. Her genes are not your genes. Her parents are not your parents. Your personality is not her personality. So stop comparing yourself to your best friend, and she's got to stop comparing herself to you. You both got to do your exact thing together and figure out how both of you can be on that path healthy instead of worrying about what the other body's doing.
1: Yeah, there's no cookie cutter approach to health and wellness, and a lot of people get caught up in Instagram and seeing all this shit online, and it's just like there's a lot of good information out there, but like you have to figure out. You know, my mentors, you know, when I learned started learning, especially like digital marketing, was like figure out who you want, what you like to do. Who's done it really well? Who has is living a lifestyle that you want to live and do exactly what they do. If you have a certain body type out there that you like, if there's a fitness athlete or an athlete, figure out what program they followed, who's training them and do what they're doing. It's not, don't reinvent the wheel, but it's like, you don't, you can't compare yourself to a million people online and all your friends. It's just like, figure out what makes you happy, figure out what makes what you want to look like, how you want to feel and just do your own thing. You know, and it's, it can get easy to get caught up in the distractions of like a, an influencer based world. And like everybody is a health and wellness coach online now and has all the answers. when we know deep to all these people are hiding behind their half naked Instagram posts that, they're probably just as miserable as most people it's just a, a front you know i hope not but we know what the reality of social media in real life is and unfortunately it never really adds up to what we see online and what we've kind of assumed that reality is you know how many times on sunday mornings when you wake up do you get that message hey here's your screen time report for the weekend it's like i don't want to look there's days on like busy days four or five six hours a day like what you know what am i you know what am i looking at it was an hour that on facebook who was i looking at on facebook and instagram for a whole hour that like a 1 of my awake hours was devoted to looking at somebody else that i will never ever meet nor do i care to but why do i do it you know and i think we're all kind of guilty of that but it's it's a but tough asking to the question
0: to get to the root of it is half the battle because some people don't even ask yeah. or realize that that question needs to be asked like they just expect it's part of their life Oh, well, yeah, I have to do this. Yeah. What you? What do you mean you have? What My friends and I were just talking about this the other day. I hate to say this, but probably a lot of weightlifters are hiding a big insecurity issue. Like like a weightlifter who's sitting there lifting, then look, looks himself in the mirror, takes a big deep breath, goes over, does a set again, goes right back to the mirror, looks himself in the mirror and flexes again. there's a lot of people in exercise who mask their insecurity through exercise. Sure. And those are the people that I worry about the obsessives, right? Cause they're,
1: you know, it's an obsession. I mean, I think there's hyper fitness and like bodybuilding. There's like, you get to a level of health and wellness, but like bodybuilding and like, like I think long distance marathon running, I don't think that's health. I don't think that's, I think that's extreme sports. I, it's not good for your body at all. We know these bodybuilders who are like dying at, Young ages because they're too big for their organs and their bodies, or these these runners who are like have perpetual knee issues and can no longer walk or like in wheelchairs because they've been running th- hundreds and hundreds of miles a year for 20 years. It's just like you have to find balance. And while yes, there are cool you know adventures that you could take like running marathons or climbing mountains or doing all this dangerous shit that's not that good for your body, but doing anything over and over or doing anything too much is bad. If you drink too much water, you will get sick. If you don't sleep enough, you'll get sick. If you smoke too much weed, you'll probably won't feel that good. Like too much of anything um, is not good. Um, but I, so I think, yeah, I think that when it comes to like health and wellness, you just kind of have to find that, okay, I can work out this much. I'm gonna sleep this much. You know, you, I. I never buy that people don't have time to work out. I just think that's such a cop-out. It's like if you don't have an, a half hour, an hour to devote to your physical health and wellness, then maybe you ought to consider doing something else with their time. Maybe you got you, you to get a secretary or something. That's right, because a half hour, so these, I love that you were talking about the
0: exercise that way, because I was an Ironman, two-time Boston Marathon runner, 17-year triathlete, the whole deal. Done 20, 20-something high peaks. I've spaced it out, but I also learned that really my favorite is yoga swimming biking that's the three things that we'll say i don't do yoga hardly enough but yeah. swimming biking is what i'm gravitating to right now when i play basketball but generally speaking you're exactly right. i learned that the marathons aren't worth the most healthy it was a great thing to have right sure. to have that bucket list to say i could push my body and to be honest i'm gonna i was talking to a couple of my friends about this when you do an iron man it is a race it's an 18 month training cycle and then it's a one-day race It's not that one day is not the only day you're riding 100 miles, and it's not the one day you're riding a marathon before that, right? So I'm actually glad I had that Ironman experience, and I would consider it to be a bucket list thing for for a lot of people for one thing. When you train for 18 months and you do an event like that, it makes everything else in your life so easy. Easy, yeah. And to be honest, I look at a 24-hour day way different than I did before going through that two-year experience. And and I'm a better man for it, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, and luckily, my body's healthy because I use cannabis. I mean, I smoked the bong before I did the Iron Man that day. Yeah. I mean,
1: um, who knows? Yeah.
0: And that night, I used it for recovery. I tell the story. I, I hate to repeat a story, but after that night, I did the Iron Man. Twelve twenty three, slept, drove all the way back to Rochester. That night, played a soccer game against my son's twelve year old travel team. Played center mid, scored a goal, and had t- two assists. Wow. Yeah, and talk smack to all the kids that couldn't outrun me going, I did an Ironman yesterday. I'm still running around all Recovered you guys. from
1: cannabis. Cannabis.
0: <laughs> it was all cannabis. I didn't use any ibuprofen or aspirin okay. after the Ironman. Everybody hear that? Cannabis. I've told it before, but now, now you've heard it. That's a true story, 100%. No stiff legs after a five-hour wow. drive. Yeah. 1223 going full bore. The next day, you sit in a car for five oh. hours, and I played soccer that night.
1: No kidding. There's my not legs many people, Just thinking about it, my,
0: no, most people couldn't. So that's what I actually say. I agree with you, like that extreme stuff. But at the end of the day, going through that experience, oh yeah, nobody can keep up with me. I mean, there's very you know other Ironman out there can keep up with me, but none of my friends they all think I'm whacked. They think I'm either weird or crazy. Well, it's like
1: entrepreneurship, you know. It's like physical entrepreneurship, you know, athletic entrepreneurship. You go through anything that's like causes constant stress and like it's kind of, it's like the X Men, you know. So it's like you get to a certain point where like for me. I don't ever, what problems that I used to see a year ago, what I may have panicked or a couple years ago, like I don't ever look at a problem and stress out and think, I can't solve that. You know, it might be difficult or it might be like, oh shit, well, that's a problem. But I don't ever, I can't remember the last time that I like panicked when something happened to me. Like a, I was put in a situation where two years ago I'd be like, oh, I'm screwed. That's it. Business is over. I'm going back to work for the man. Now it's like, all right, well. So it's like for me, being like two and a half years being broke and like almost homeless and depressed and like trying to find my way helped me. Like now it's just like, Okay. Oh, that's a problem. Now we're going to good because now we're going to solution and actually make it better. So it's like, like I said, you do things like that over the course of your lifetime and it can suck suck during then. You might get some flack. Like, why are you doing this? Why would you put yourself through it? But it like paves the way for the rest of your life. Uh, we need to close with you telling me all about your products, how you
0: started a product line. I, yeah. I want to end strongly with you and your products. Uh, uh, I want you to go as long as you can, but tell me like why you decided to start a product line, what your products are, and, and tell me everything about it.
1: Yeah. So like I said, I started Tiva uh, about a year and a half ago. Tiva. Yeah, Tiva is T-I-V-A. Uh, TivaCBD.com is my website. Um, I will be migrating soon. So I have some cool announcements coming up. Really cool stuff. Um, but I got in, like I said, about a year ago. I actually, like when I started using CBD, um, I was like, I got a form. I found the the COAs and like the labs. And I was like, I want to get a product that's very similar. So I worked with a, a, um, an extraction facility, a cultivator, a cultivar and put together a product and uh, launched my first product. It was awesome. I was super pumped. Built my online um, website. And which is really hard to do because every, all these CBD shops are popping up around, but because no one can really nail down the online because you have to have a, a fully compliant company, a fully compliant product, which most people were not compliant. It had to be, it should have been full spectrum. It should be, you had to have a, a, a third party fulfillment center that would actually fulfill your stuff for you. You had to have merchant processing. And then if you happen to get merchant processing, you had to have a bank that would take this, what they, believed to be hot money. So if you could accommodate the, these ones seemingly unsolvable tasks. You can make money online and make a lot of it. So I was able to kind of put the, with my knowledge of digital marketing, which is really what I have been studying, like sales funnel, designing sales funnels and automated systems online for the last couple of years, was able to essentially build a model and then plugged my product into it. And I had built this fully automated business that happened in the cloud and was making some very substantial returns. And I wasn't working more than five minutes a day. Like I could I mean, I could sell one bottle a day or I could sell 50 bottles a day and it would all happen. It was all getting drop shipped. It was all, it was awesome, right? I was really starting to say, wow, I was building this machine, right? So it's from there, I, you know, I knew I had an awesome product, but I never had the desire to be the number one CBD salesman in the world. Like I think it was cool. I've made a good living and I've done well and I get growing every single day, which is awesome. But my vision is much bigger. It's to really understand cannabis medicine full spectrum and to understand all of the cannabinoids not just thc not just cbd cbg and cbn and all 110 and which i'm sure will there be many more as research actually happens and terpenes and secondary cannabinoids and flavonoids and all these things and truly create you know standards for the industry based on compliance based on you know Organic farming practices, all natural ingredients, you know, um, f- treating our cannabis products just like we would treat our food um, and being able to have full spectrum cannabis medicine for people to use and have access to and not only have products, but have science ba- based education. So, um, Tiva 2.0 is launching uh, this year, um, has some really cool stuff in the works, and there's going to be um, some really good stuff coming out of Rochester, New York just this year. So, tivacbd.com. Um, full spectrum. Uh, What
0: what products can they find there?
1: Yeah, I just sell full spectrum uh, full spectrum hemp extract, um, but it contains all the cannabinoids. High CBD, compliant amount of THC, terpenes, uh, all the cannabinoids. It's a fantastic product. And
0: describe
1: for people what it means to say compliant THC. Compliant means that your, so it has to, A, the product has to be derived from industrial hemp. Um, And industrial hemp is cannabis that has less than 0.3% THC. And in order for be true industrial hemp, it has to be grown at an institution um, that is in a research program under the, the 2018 Farm Bill or the former 2014 Farm Bill, right? So it has to be federally uh, registered. Um, you have to have a third party that does your lab results that prove that you have less than 0.3% THC. You should be bottled and manufactured in a uh, FDA food grade GMP certified um food processing facility, you have to have certain language on your label, you have to, compliance is the number one factor between people who are making it and people who are failing. Uh, Luckily, I did have a pretty good mentor that helped me with the compliance part, Um, but I really built the company slowly by making sure I was fully compliant. All my ducks are in a row. I had a sound merchant services. I had all these things. And when I finally launched, I didn't even really have to spend any money on marketing because it just got around and publicity from being on normal and just like, my name was attached to the brand. And before I knew it, I went from selling one bottle a day to, you know, a lot more than that. So it was, it's been a good ride and it's just really just getting started. Are you nervous with, uh,
0: with all the interstate stuff, uh, sales, uh, you know, some companies, it sounds like you do everything with your COA. So you're good, yeah. but you know, there's letters going out there, CBD companies across the country and now they're yeah. doing bad stuff. So obviously you're not, um, are you in all fifty states? How how you been doing? Where sales um, gravitating? From? So
1: I I don't do a ton of wholesale to be honest. I do B two C. Um, I really do well in direct sales. Use leveraging social media, uh, leveraging email marketing, a lot of stuff that I've been learning. Um, but I'm really you know, paid traffic was really something that I specialized, paid for you know, PPC, Facebook targeting, stuff like that. But you can't really do that in this industry. I know so, that's what I mean, yeah, that's what I'm curious. Yeah. So I have all these tools in my. Digital marketing toolbox, and I'm just like, man. If we, if they would just turn on the switch, or tomorrow say, okay, you can now allow CBD marketing. There's going to be people that are making a million dollars a day, easy. Oh, yeah. As long oh, okay. as you have the scalability, it's, it's the margins are just stupid. And could it's just like, sales
0: in all 50 states or is there some states that like, like, are you like, are you selling to California? Yeah,
1: everywhere. Every, every state I can sell to, it's all where they can get my website. So it's like, I have full, I have five warehouses throughout the country that are all strategically placed. Um, my website is fully functional. All, everything is compliant. I um, have a team of people that I do customer service with. Like I, it's, it's just, it's an awesome, fully functional online business. The cool thing with online business is that you could run what would take a 30 person corporation with just one or two people. So I've been able to really build this by myself and build this really awesome, successful business with myself. But you can't do everything yourself. I'm at the point where I am building a team, um, but I can't even imagine if I had a couple people to lean on. Um, how how fast the company is going to grow. So I'm excited. Really, tw- 2019 is going to be a huge year for me.
0: Being able to go B to C is huge. That that's really where really you yep. make your most return. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So I'm impressed. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what 2.0 is going to look like. Yeah, me too. Can you list everybody, all your social media places uh, where they can find you? Rock normal, please, please like be. Say everything. Give it up.
1: So we really are just on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, at Rock Normal, same thing, at Rock Normal on Instagram. Um, We're very active. Um, We... Our constant. I spend the majority of my days sifting through the cannabis industry or the industry news, politically, agriculturally, scientifically, and finding the best information and giving it to our people and curating it for them. So they have they we try to make them understand cannabis in real time and from and from a tr- from a tr- with truth. Um, so it's a really really good resource for for. For truth and good information and conversation, and people that are open about cannabis and want to talk about it. And um, I would encourage people to get involved in memberships and, and get, talk to us. We love talking about cannabis, we do it for a living, um, and we'd love to get involved in the organization.
0: And your product line is Tiva?
1: Tiva. TivaCBD.com. I don't have much Facebook visibility right now because uh, they shut me down. Because
0: Facebook and Instagram are a bunch of big bullies.
1: Boof. Boot. if it's funny though because in a non-cannabis industry facebook is the best marketing yeah, tool in the entire world i mean it's, it's 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 crazy but it's it is what it is it's, truthfully the way to win this uh this industry is through organic content and using uncle google you know if you can learn the google search engine which i have some good partners that understand seo very well and you have the knowledge to create good organic content that's how you're gonna make it Good advice. We appreciate
0: that. Yeah. Thank you for the rock normal, uh, education. I plan on being involved with the organization. Awesome. So I definitely look forward to that. I don't know how I can help you, but I will certainly find a way that I can, my energy can be on board with your team so uh thank you for everything sir thank you for the two hours you educated a ton of people today you validated a lot of things i've said of past episodes so my heartfelt thank you for hey thanks us.
1: for having me really good time i was really i hope we can do it again very soon
0: yeah we're, we're going to so so that's definitely a plan i want to put it out there now i don't like to predict things or or say things about the future But I guarantee within the next five episodes, we will have this gentleman on again, uh, as well as some of his contacts as well, Um, But because we want to get the updates on the state. So the minute we get the updated state information becomes facts, we're going to have um, we're going to have this gentleman back on again, and we're going to talk further, deeper on how the whole thing happened in New York yeah. um, from my perspective, from my know, from from my knowledge, and him, and we'll be able to talk about it openly, and we can really talk about how this state worked out, and how we are going to be a leader in this country for CBD production very soon.
1: Yeah, definitely leader. We are going to be the beating heart of this of the cannabis industry, for CBD, THC, medicine, um, and hopefully criminal justice reform. So. If all goes well, we will see what will be appear to be a, something worthy of the textbooks for a very long time because this is going to be uh, a, a true revolution in many ways.
0: Amen. Thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful day. Remember, get off your couch. It is springtime. Rake those leaves you ignored in the fall. Get those fresh plantings out there. Absolutely enjoy the fresh air. Get out and exercise. Walk your dog. Don't put them out in the backyard. And have a great day, everybody. Thank you.